0: Good morning. (laughs) My wife and I weren't sure there'd be anybody here but us this morning. Uh, uh, This is is West Michigan, so I know that some of you hardy folks uh, don't view it as a problem, you view it as a challenge. Uh, And uh, so that's that's fine, but I got to tell you, a year ago we moved from Zeeland to Byron Center. Partly to get away from the uh, lake effect, partly to get closer to the office, but almost completely so that I would never have to shovel snow again. And uh, we didn't get away from the lake effect because we probably got just as much as you did. Uh, We did get closer to the office. But I haven't touched a snow shovel in a year, so I'm pretty happy. I don't care what it does. I'll sit with my cocoa and watch somebody else do it and be just fine. Thank you very much. So uh, in any case, uh, uh, to, to just wish you a happy new year, trust that uh, you'll have a, a good and safe start to the new year uh, and uh, that uh, 2018 will be a blessed Uh, time for each of you. Let me do an informal survey uh, to get started this morning. And by informal, I mean this is not scientific. Uh, This is just a show of hands. How many of you are done with Christmas? And I don't mean done, everything's over. I mean, you're tired of it. You're ready to move on You're you're tired of the Christmas songs. I mean, 105's been playing them since July 5th, and uh, you you just don't want to hear any more Christmas songs for a while. Uh, The trees, the ads, everything. How many of you are done with Christmas? Okay, how many of you wish Christmas kind of was almost like all year round? Okay, you're going to be happier this morning than the first group, because um, <laughs> we're going to do one more Christmas message this morning. So for those of you who are done with Christmas, try to hang in there for about a half hour and it'll be just fine, okay? Um, we've been these weeks together looking at the Christmas story through the experience of people who witnessed or participated it, in it, and we've kind of done it. In reverse chronological order, we started with the angels, and in Luke chapter 2, they're the last ones on the scene. Then, two weeks ago, we saw the shepherds and and shepherd's hills and all that stuff. And then, last week, we saw Joseph, and and that was nine months earlier. But for today, to, to look one final time at the Christmas story through one of his participants, we want to go back much, much further than that. Because And I don't know if I've said this uh, these last weeks or not, uh, but to me, it, it, it seems to me that when we tell the Christmas story, we enter it much too late. We enter the story much too late because the Christmas story did not begin in Bethlehem in a manger. That's where we usually begin uh... the the baby in the manger and and believe me when i tell you that that is very important i'm not minimizing the value of that but the christmas story did not begin there and the christmas story did not begin in nazareth with the announcement to mary that she was going to have a baby the christmas story began in eternity past and we will never fully appreciate the wonder of christmas and the wonder of the christ unless we understand where he came from in order to come here, because that's part of the story, too. And by the way, we tend to look at the Christmas story in isolation like it's one frame in a a long movie, and we lock into that one frame, and we see the baby in the manger, and everything's, you know, puppies and flowers and candy and stuff like that. And, And Not only is that not the beginning of the Christmas story, that's also not the end of the Christmas story, because the end of the Christmas story is a cross and an empty tomb. So we have to begin the Christmas story in eternity past. We have to end the Christmas story, in a sense, in eternity future. This is not just a moment in time. This is the message of eternity. And I'd like for us to think about it today, because I think we enter the story too late. And and I'm not the only one who thinks that. Uh, In the late 1800s, there was a young woman. uh, Her her name was Emily Elizabeth Steele Elliott. And I'll probably get that all jumbled up, but I wanted to make sure I got it once right this morning. Emily Elizabeth Steele Elliott. Uh, Her dad was an Anglican churchman, uh, and she was heavily involved in ministry with what today we would call at-risk kids, street kids, in, in uh, I think, in London, and during Victorian England in the late 1800s, and um, Christmas was coming, and she was working with all these street kids, and she wanted to have a way to communicate to them the message of Christmas and what it really means and so she wrote a hymn. Now, the fact that it was her instinct to write a hymn isn 't surprising when you realize that Emily Elliot was the niece of Charlotte Elliot, and Charlotte Elliot wrote. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. So you have the reality of the Christmas story needing to communicate that to kids who didn't have a lot of biblical background, and to do that, she wrote a song. And the amazing thing is, is that the song that she wrote, and and as you listen to the lyrics this morning, keep in mind that the song that she wrote was a children's song. And it's stunning because it is filled with dense theology, and yet it was written for kids. The first verse says, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. The Christmas story she rightly understood to begin in eternity past with what Christ left in order to arrive here. And that's really important because not only did Emily Elliot understand that, and I, Emily Elizabeth Steele Elliott, my brain always wants to drop the Emily and Steele and say Elizabeth Elliot, because we know who Elizabeth Elliott uh, has been to us. But... Emily Elliot understood that the story started there. And as she starts her Christmas story there, it's very interesting, that's where Paul starts the telling of his rendition of the Christmas story. And like Emily Elliot, his story is also dense with theology. And like Emily Elliot, his story is also rooted in a hymn. So turn to Philippians 2. We want to spend just a few minutes here This morning in Philippians chapter 2. And again, scholars uh, believe that Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, was actually an ancient hymn. And once again, it is very, very thick. It is very, very doctrinally intense. And yet, it's there to communicate, from Paul's perspective, the backstory of the Christmas story. One of the things that that research and the internet and all that kind of stuff has done is it's made it possible to check the backstory of people and events. And the more you understand the backstory, the more richly you can embrace the actual story. Uh, For instance, there's a a guy named James Bradley. Some of you may know him because he wrote the book, Flags of Our Fathers, about the flag raising at Iwo Jima. His dad was one of the marines that lifted the flag on Iwo Jima. And um, he wrote another book called Fly Boys. And it was about seven Navy pilots in World War II. And it follows these pilots throughout the war. And all but one of them were shot down and either killed or captured and died in captivity. The only one of those seven fly boys who survived was George Herbert Walker Bush. <laughs> now, when you know that backstory, all of a sudden his life of service for his country takes on a whole different message and meaning. So, getting the backstory is what Emily Elliott wants for us for Christmas, and getting the backstory is what the Apostle Paul wants for us for Christmas. And it's found in this hymn in Philippians 2, and it starts in verse 5 have this attitude or perspective or life view in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus now I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag and let you know that when he's talking about the attitude of Christ the perspective of life that Christ has that perspective is a servant's heart Jesus is the one who said the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many All of Jesus' coming is wrapped up in this perspective. He came to serve and to sacrifice himself. That's the mind of Christ. And the practical takeaway for us today is that that's supposed to be our attitude toward life as well. Self-sacrifice, servant's heart. That's supposed to be our attitude as well. Now, how did Christ exhibit that? Well, he begins his hymn the same place Emily Elliott began her hymn. Her hymn began... Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Now, it's interesting. In the verses of of her hymn, there's a positive and a negative, and they're bridged by the word but every time. So as we look at a couple of the verses this morning, notice how she does this. The positive, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me, but the positive is the glories of heaven, but the negative is in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. And that's just emblematic of the general response of the general people of Jesus' day because he came to his own, John 1 says, and his own did not receive him. He left the splendor, the glory, the majesty of heaven, and he came to earth and experienced rejection. <laughs> Largely experienced rejection. But think of the contrast of that. Think of the contrast of leaving what he left to come to where he came. And now hear Paul's telling of it. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, there are a couple of key words in there, and and both of them are really important. But before we look at those, the word existed, the word existed describes Jesus as eternal. He existed in the form of God. This is John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Eternally, in eternity past and all the way into eternity future, the Christ, God the Son, existed for all eternity. And He existed in the form of God. Now, when we hear the word form, an idea of forms in our heads. Form seems to speak of shape. So if you're in construction and you're going to put up a building and you have to lay footers for that building, the first thing you do is you put in forms to form the concrete to be the foundation or the footers for that house. We think form, we think shape, but that's not what this word means. The word form here means essence or nature or being. What it's saying is this. From all eternity past, eternally, Christ existed with the Father and he was in the exact same nature and essence as the Father. Now, this may seem like you know, okay, big deal, Jesus is God, we know that. Yeah, but what you don't know is that if he wasn't, nothing else works. What you have to understand is that if he was not God, if he was not absolutely equal to God in every way, if he did not have the form, nature, essence of God complete within himself, he could have never been Emmanuel. He could have never been God with us if he wasn't first God in eternity past with the Father. He had to be God or else the plan doesn't work he had to be god and so in eternity past paul wants us to understand that he's not just the son of god he is god the son and there's a clear distinction between those two different titles for jesus because god the son speaks of who he has always been and the son of god tells us how he came in human flesh now as you think about that idea of form and i know it's kind of new year's eve morning and stuff so having to actually think is is challenging this for me uh i'm with you but try to try to buckle in He existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God a thing to be passed, a thing to to be grasped. The the key word in that part is grasped. And and what it really speaks of is to cling to something selfishly. To cling to something selfishly. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown. He did not cling to those things. He did not hold on to those things. He did not demand his rights and privileges and authority and all that stuff. He set all of that aside in order to come. He had to leave there to come here. He had to leave that to take up a manger. So he left the throne for a manger and ultimately a cross. He left heavenly splendor for the darkness of a broken world. He left the robes of glory for the flesh of humanity. He left that. Why? Because even though he was absolutely God in every way, he did not cling to that, but was willing to set it aside in order to come on a mission from his Father. See, we think about the cross And much like the way we think about Christmas, we enter the story too late. I was at a funeral one time a number of years ago. Uh, This is probably 35 years ago. Um, I was at a funeral. I wasn't preaching the funeral, I was just participating or or attending the funeral. I don't think I told you this. So so the guy's up there preaching. And for some reason, he was preaching on Genesis chapter 3 at a funeral. And and as he's preaching on Genesis chapter 3 and the fall into sin, you have Adam and Eve, and they partake of the forbidden fruit, and and so on and so on, and they're hiding in the garden, and and the world is now broken because of Adam and Eve's sin. And here's exactly what the guy said. Okay, you ready? Here's exactly what we said. Now imagine what God's thinking at this point. Oh no, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? I made this world and now it's broken. What do we do now? And thankfully for us, Jesus came in and said, don't worry, Father, I'll take care of it. My mouth was open about this far. (laughs) It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction to send Jesus. That was the plan before the world was created. He was crucified Acts chapter 2, Peter says, according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was always the Father's mission for Jesus to come. It was always the Father's mission for Jesus to go to the cross. It was always the Father's mission for Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sin. It was always the Father's mission for Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. That was always God's mission. But the key thing is this, even though 1 John 4 says the father sent the son to be the savior of the world, the father sent the son, but the son agreed to come. The son embraced the mission. The son embraced the mission and everything that that meant, including what he had to leave behind to come, his throne, his kingly crown his presence with the Father all of that gets set aside because even though he was equal to God in every way he did not cling to that selfishly but came as a servant as a slave as a sacrifice and that's where Paul's words go next it says But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. It's the the Greek word kenao from it. We get the word kenosis. This is the great theological debate point that goes on in seminaries all around the world of the kenosis theory. When Jesus emptied himself, what did he empty himself of? And some people say, we emptied himself of his deity. Well, if he did, then he was no longer God. And if he was no longer God, he couldn't be God with us. So that can't work. What was it that he emptied himself of? Emily Elliott's hymn, the second verse says this. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, declaring thy royal degree, but... Of lowly birth didst thou come to earth in great humility. (laughs) He humbled himself. He humbled himself. And in that humility, he emptied himself of something. And what I would suggest to you is that he emptied himself of the right to choose his own path. When he came to earth, over and over and over again, he said, I have come to do your will. I come only to do the will of him who sent me. I do always only those things that please my Father. Over and over and over again, his life was one of humble submission to the Father's will so that he emptied himself of the right to choose another path. And that meant... He emptied himself of the right to use his divine power and authority for his own purposes. The great example of that is in the temptations. When Satan, after Jesus has gone fasting for 40 days, Satan says, turn these stones into bread. Could he have done it? Of course he could have done it. But he emptied himself of that he emptied himself of that and placed himself completely in the Father's will so that even the night before the cross, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could pray, let this cup pass from me. (laughs) Nevertheless, not my will yours be done. Why? Because he had emptied himself of self-will. He had emptied himself of the prerogative to choose his own way and absolutely submitted himself so that of lowly birth he came to earth with great humility. He came in the place of a servant. He came in the form of of a human being notice it says he emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men now what's interesting is the word form there is the exact same word form in the previous verse it means he didn't just come play acting he didn't just come playing out a role or a scenario he came with the absolute essential nature of a slave Slaves don't have any choice. <laughs> he came as a slave having set aside his choice to submit to the Father's will. And in setting aside his choice to submit to the Father's will, he would be able to say, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. Why? Because he'd embrace the Father's predetermined plan in eternity past. See? That's why the Christmas story all the way through. Eternity to eternity. It's said that King James V of Scotland would from time to time take off his royal robes and put on the clothes of a pauper and wander around through the countryside, engaging people who are living life and going through life. And, and, and he said that it would help him to rule more compassionately if he understood exactly how the people lived. In the 1950s, a, a reporter from the northeastern United States who had naturally curly black hair had his skin dyed darker and he went into the American South and lived in injustice and prejudice and bigotry and hatred as a black man and ended up writing a book about it called Black Like Me. But King James, V of Scotland, could always go back into the castle and put his royal rose back on and, and this white man... Masquerading as a black man in the bigoted South would one day have his skin back to the normal color. When Jesus came, he came to go all the way to death. He he didn't just show up and pop in for a visit. He didn't just come and, and dip his toe in the water. He completely immersed himself in the human experience. And in order to completely immerse himself in the human experience, he had to leave his divine authority behind. He did that so completely that the Gospels tell us that everything he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he gave up. That's what he gave up when he came to earth for us. (laughs) He came and he became an actual 100% no nonsense, this is who he is servant. And he came in the likeness of men, just like any other human being from the outward eye. He's still the son. He's still God, but he set all of the privileges of that aside. He set the right to choose aside. He embraced the Father's will, and he came in great humility to come to our rescue. And that's the next part. The next part is what Paul says when he says, And being found, verse 8, in appearance as a man, He humbled himself again. He humbled himself by laying aside his throne and his kingly crown. He humbled himself by coming in the form of a servant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The idea of that is he went all the way to the point of death even death on a cross. He did not allow anything to deter him. I mean, the Bible tells us that as he was making his way forward, he had his face set like a flint for Jerusalem. When Peter tried to convince him, no, Lord, you're not going to be killed. You're not going to be tormented. You're not, Jesus says, get behind me. You're my adversary right now. He was absolutely determined to go all the way to the finish line, in order to accomplish the Father's mission for him, knowing that that meant death on a cross. See, this is the story of Christmas. Of all human beings ever born, Jesus was born to die. We think about somebody being born to live. We've got our sixth grandchild coming in a couple of weeks. And uh, my son, being an absolute and total nerd, um, is going to name him Bruce after Bruce Wayne. Those of you who don't know, that's Batman's alter ego. Uh, He's a big Batman guy. But you see this little baby come into the world, and you see this little life come into the world, and you look at this little life and you wonder what their life is gonna be like. You think about how they're gonna live. You don't think about how they're gonna die. But when Jesus came, he came to die. It was the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. He came to die. And yes, along the way he lived. And yes, along the way he modeled. And yes, along the way he taught. And yes, along the way he helped. And yes, along the way he healed. But he came to die. And he was obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. This is the Emmanuel, God with us. Who in eternity past agreed to leave his throne and his kingly crown, who in eternity past agreed to come in great humility, who in eternity past agreed to accept the Father's predetermined counsel and plan that he would die on a cross. All of that was his mission from his Father. If all we see is the baby in a manger, we've, we've lost the backstory and we've lost the mission. The backstory of Christmas is what he chose to set aside in order to come. And the story of Christmas is why he came. Emily Elliott got that right in her hymn, too. She wrote, Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word that should set thy people free but with mocking scorn and with crown of thorn they bore thee to calvary see what emily understood folks is that if all you see is the baby in the manger you don't get christmas you don't understand christmas You have to pull back the curtain of history and look into eternity past to see who that baby is and what that baby sacrificed and how that baby came in order to become the baby in a manger. But then you have to look forward from that to see the missional reality of his coming that there was always going to be a cross, that there was always going to be a sacrifice. And that he himself would be that sacrifice. See, that's the Christmas story. If all you get's the baby in the manger, you don't get Christmas. (laughs) Because Christmas is about who he was and why he came. Not just that he came. Not just that he came. As great as that is, as good news as that is, it's not just that he came, it's who he is. Absolutely equal to God in every way. And why he came with mocking scorn and crown of thorn to be taken to Calvary. That's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story. And we celebrate that story when we put all the pieces together so that we really and truly get it. So how do you respond? Well, for the follower of Christ, the response is right there in Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? Self-sacrifice, servant's heart. (laughs) Let those be the defining characteristics of your life and your engagement with one another and with this world for whom he died. Live the mind of Christ that he put on display in how he came and why he came. And for those who don't yet know Christ, Emily Elliott offers the words of response because in those three verses we've looked at, every single one of them has the same refrain at the end. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. How do you respond to that? Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, declaring thy royal degree. But of lowly birth thou didst come to earth in great humility. How do you respond to that? Thou didst come to this world with the living world word to set the people free. But with mocking scorn and crown of thorn, they bore thee to Calvary. How do you respond to that? Each one of those verses offers the response. Oh, come to my heart. Lord Jesus there's room in my heart for thee the response to the Christ who came and the Christ who died and the Christ who rose and the Christ who's coming again oh come to my heart Lord Jesus (laughs) there's room in my heart for thee I trust that uh, as you make your way into 2018, that the reality of the Christ and all that that means will encourage and challenge and equip and empower you to live his mind in the year to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this truly unspeakable gift. Lord, it's beyond our imagination what Jesus set aside to be our savior. It's beyond our imagination, what he willingly embraced and what he willingly gave up. Father, we thank you that this is an expression of your great love, but we also thank you that it is an expression of his perfect heart. And so on this final day of the year, we bow and give thanks for what else can we do but give thanks for the gift of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.